As you turn to John chapter 14, um, some of you, this is easy to think about, but think about a troubled moment in your life, a moment when you've been weighed down, heavy, great fear, anxiety, worrying about whatever the trouble is at hand. It's that type of moment where, again, it feels like you're being crushed by the weight uh, of this problem. You don't know what to do. You don't know who to speak to. You don't know where to go. It's a moment in which you truly need words of peace. It's a moment in which you need comfort. You need care. You need loving words. Again, it's that moment that you think you're just going to break. It's that moment of you want to give up, and you need uh, comforting words. You need someone to reassure you that things will be worked out, that in the end, everything will be okay. As I thought this week about this, I thought of a moment uh, when um, years ago, my wife was pregnant with one of our daughters. I was at a winter retreat um, with a number of college students that I took up there for a winter camp. While we were there uh, in the mountains of Southern California, the snow came in like crazy, like Montana snow. I mean, it was one of those things they weren't ready for plowing the roads, and there was nowhere to go, and the college students were excited because they said, well, maybe we'll, we'll hold off till Monday, and we won't have to go to classes on Monday. I got a call that my wife was in the hospital because being pregnant with one of our daughters, months early, she began to have early labor and other issues and, and problems. And it was that moment in which I felt grief and fear and worry. And I was troubled because I couldn't get down the mountain. One of our elders, Norm Edlin, a uh, great brother in Christ and man of God, was there with us. Uh, he went as he was uh, just serving on that trip with us. And he gathered up college students. And they gathered around me at a moment which he knew was a burden for me. And he was like, hey, I, I've got four-wheel drive. We can try to get out of here. And I was like, there's nowhere to go. And so what he did was he and the college students read Scripture to me and prayed. A moment of great worry and anxiety, um, wanting to be down the hill, be at the hospital, which was not possible at that moment, um, comforting words. To know that in the midst of the greatest trouble, and trial that God's in charge. And that's where we come to today in John chapter 14, in the midst of a text from chapter 13 to 17, in which the disciples are with Jesus in the upper room in their last hours with him that they don't know is coming. And they need words of comfort. They need words of peace. They need words that will direct them and guide them in this moment and as we look at John chapter 14, if you look at verses 1 through 11 this morning, the scriptural truth is this, Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father's house because he is God. John chapter 14, verses 1 through, 4, or 1 through 11, Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. 
Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Who can, who, how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe an account of the works themselves. The Word of God. Father, thank you for blessing us with the treasure of your Word. Thank you for showing your mercy upon sinners and sending your Son, Jesus, for us. Let us take great comfort in these words this morning and great assurance in the words of our Lord and Savior. Bless the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at verses 1 through 7. The Father's house is what is described here. You need to this week read John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. It's one section, and again, I remind you that there was no chapters or verses put in here. And so when you get to chapter 14, you're like, wait, why is there a break in here? Why is there a a new chapter in the midst of Jesus' conversation with them? It would be good, especially as we approach uh, uh, Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Resurrection Easter Sunday, that you would read chapter 13 through 17, or actually read through the end of the gospel according to John. Because when you look at this, they are in an upper room. This is the Last Supper. The disciples are with Jesus. And in John chapter 13, if you go back just a page or so, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And if you read this chapter, you see the love of the great shepherd, the good shepherd who we looked at last week, who washes the feet of his disciples as they come into the room that night, that he served them and set an example for them that they were to do the same thing to one another and to serve them as Christ served them. And then the evening begins to change somewhat as they're eating. And in verse 21, Jesus tells them, there's a traitor among us. I mean, imagine you've been with Jesus for three years and you're having a meal together and Jesus who you're following says, hey, there's someone here going to betray me? Again, the murmurings begin. They're like, John, ask Jesus, what, who was it? And Jesus uh, turns to Judas and it says that the disciples didn't know what he was telling them. But he says, Judas, go do what you're going to do and do it quickly. This is right after it says that Satan entered Judas. And so Judas goes to betray Jesus to the religious leaders. And then you read on in chapter 13, verses 33 through 36, and Jesus tells them he's leaving. He says, I'm going away. Oh, yeah, and you guys can't follow me. I mean, again, they followed him for three years. Wait, Jesus, you're leaving us? We can't follow you? We've given our lives to follow after you. In verse 38, he turns to the leader, 
Peter. Oh, by the way, Peter, even after Peter's like, hey, we're going to do this for you, Lord. He's like, by the way, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, um, you will deny me three times. So imagine this meal that they're coming to celebrate, having their feet washed, being humbled, and then hearing all this, a traitor, Peter's going to deny you. What in the world is going on here? There was obviously some troubled hearts at that moment. And in chapter 14, verse 1, the comforting words of the good shepherd, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. They did not understand, even though Jesus goes on to tell them that he's going to leave for their benefit. And if he leaves, as you read on through the rest of the chapter, he's like, the Holy Spirit will come, the Comforter will come, the Helper will come, but they don't understand these truths yet. A few days later, when Christ rises from death to life, they understand some of these things now that Jesus was teaching them. But here at this moment, trouble fills their hearts. I mean, have you ever been troubled or filled with anxiety or worry to the point that someone tries to encourage you and it doesn't help you at all? It doesn't matter what a person says, it doesn't help you. Sometimes, at least over the years, there's been many, many families that I've sat with after a loved one has passed away. Sometimes they don't want to hear me say a thing. Just come sit with them. There's trouble in their hearts. There's grief in their hearts. But then there's other times that they want to be comforted with comforting words, words of life, words from Christ. And here, Jesus gives them words of life, words of comfort. Don't be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He gives them a, a moment here that they are called to exercise their faith in God and in Jesus as the Christ, that they would have confidence and the hours that would come, the days that would follow after Christ dies on the cross. And he calls them to trust in him because as we read in verses 7 through 11, he speaks about he and the Father being one. And so he, he tells them to trust him as well. And then again, if you read on this week in verses 15 through 31, he says, you're not going to be left and hung out to dry. I'm going to leave and go to the Father, but the Holy Spirit, the Helper, will come. John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. Some of you need peace today. Some of you are facing trouble and worry today, and you need peace. You need the peace of God, because peace in this world lasts for a moment, but true peace for your heart comes from God. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In this meal with them, he tells them a couple of times, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. Peace I leave with you. Don't be afraid. And again, it's easy at times to hear those words and still to have trouble in your heart. You and I need 
God to give us the peace that surpasses all understanding when we're in the midst of the darkness, midst of the trouble, so that we can continue to walk and to follow to the day we see Jesus face to face. He goes on to give them more comfort in verse 2. As we were just singing in two of the praise songs that we were singing, it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. Some of you love that verse. People love that. They put it on, put it on pictures. We send it out on social media. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions, as people like to uh, put on there. What is this Father's house? What are these rooms? And what Jesus is speaking of is not some earthly building. He's not speaking of some large, massive hotel with a bunch of suites in there. He's speaking heavenward of where the Lord God Almighty seated on the throne that Isaiah saw the glory of God. And he says, in that place, that place in heaven where my Father lives, there's many rooms, he says. And these rooms are for those who are followers of the Good Shepherd, those who are, who are justified, those who are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, those who have received Christ by faith, just as we're singing in Christ alone, faith in Christ alone. All those who have faith in Christ alone, as Jesus says, will have one of these places set aside and prepared for him or her. Verse 2, he says, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Do not forget when you read the gospel accounts that you see Jesus in his humanity, but you also see him in his divinity, in his deity, that he is God. And therefore, as we have studied before from God's word, God is holy. He has not sinned. He doesn't sin. And God never lies. So Jesus tells them, if this weren't true, I would have told you. He says, but it is true. In my Father's house, he says, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Maybe some of you have been blessed by another person before, and you show up somewhere on, I don't know, vacation, or you go to visit someone's house, and they've prepared for you. They've set up a nice room. They've turned on the heater if it's cold or the air conditioner if it's hot. They've set out things to just bless you. They've prepared a great banquet, a feast. And you come in and you're like, wow, all the stress, all the worries gone. You set your bags down. You could just relax. This is this sense of this, man, I'm going to the Father's house. Wait, you're going to prepare a place for me? Wait, there's a, a banquet? What, what, is this, what does this mean? And this is what Jesus is trying to encourage and comfort his followers at this moment. But look at what verse 2 says. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to what? Prepare. Prepare a place for you. Circle, highlight that word, prepare. Underline it. Jesus says that he's going to do all the work needed to prepare the place for his followers. He doesn't tell the disciples, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go to the Father, and by the way, there's a book over there on the wall, follow every step and I'll see you in a while. Oh, and if you don't get step 25, I won't see you again. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, go do this work, and when you get done, 
you'll cross the finish line and I'll see you at my father's house. Not at all. Jesus says that he will go, that he will prepare. And that preparation is the work that Christ does to save his people from sin and death. Jesus, in a few hours, would die nailed to the cross. And at the cross, as he bears sin for his people, God the Father will pour out his wrath on the Son, and the Son will shed his blood. That blood is sufficient to save and to not cover only over sin, but to remove sin for all who are in faith in Christ Jesus. And he would die, and he would breathe his last, and he would be buried in a tomb, and on the third day be raised from death to life. Amen? He is risen. Little practice for Resurrection Sunday. Should be every single day. He is risen. There we go. 2 Corinthians 5 says this in verse 21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we read in John 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd does all the work to save his people from their sins. He does not require you to do any work. Even when you read Ephesians 2, it tells us the blessings upon us and that we're given the gift of faith to believe. And so we praise him as we were singing that he is glorious. He is the only Savior and he is the only one who does all the work to save us from our sins. Look at verse 3 here in the text. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? It says what? I will do what? What's he going to do? He says, come again. And will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, when you read through the rest of the chapter, when you read verses, chapter 13 through 17, you'll see some references, he says, in regards to a picture of him being seen by the disciples after he raises from death to life, but also this truth of his ascension into heaven and then his coming return in the future. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 17 through 19. Speaking of the work that Christ has done to prepare a place that we would be having a room in the house of God for eternity, he says this, the Apostle Paul in verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, look through that again. To be someone who is not a citizen of heaven, to be an enemy of God Almighty, and then to one day be saved by faith alone, by the grace of God. He does all the work, and we don't do any of it to be made a fellow citizen with all the saints that have gone before us, to be in the household of God for eternity. It's glorious, church. It's what our hope is in in Christ. That's why we long for Christ to come today, that we would be with him for eternity. 
Last week, I read a larger section of Matthew chapter 25. I'll just bring one passage here as a reminder in Matthew 25, verse 34. This is the day of judgment when Christ returns and he separates the sheep from the goats, those who follow him to, again, and those who have rejected him. And it says in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, these are the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Again, what a comforting thing to have a place prepared for you in the Father's house when you breathe your last or see Christ returning in the clouds. How glorious that truth is so wonderful that there is a place for the people of God. Comforting words for these disciples in a moment of just turbulence in their life And if you look with me back in John chapter 14 to verses 4 through 6, Jesus tells them, not only is he going to the Father's house, but let me tell you how to get there. Let me tell you the way. And so we have this second point is the way to the Father's house in verses 4 through 6. If you look back at John chapter 14. I'm always fascinated when I see buildings or even castles that are built in the side of a mountain. I mean, there's just a drop-off. There's no way to get to them other than one path. I was looking at some castles over the last couple months of these castles built into the hillside, into these mountains. I was looking at one a few weeks back in which there's only one path in. There's no secret doors. There's no other ways. And if you can't get into there, there's no way into that castle I was reading this week also of a lodge that's in Texas. It's on a, a very large bend on the Frio River. There's only one way in. You have to get in the river and drive to the lodge. Now I was like going, wait a minute, how much water is going through there? Well, it, 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 it varies, but most of the time you can drive, and you're literally driving through water to get to this lodge on the Frio River. There's only one way in. Some of you know what I mean when, you, when I say living here in Montana, there's only one way to get to that hunting spot or fishing spot. I mean, you've pulled out your Onyx maps and you're looking on all the stuff and you're finding, oh, there's private land there, private land there. I can't get to there. I can only float down through there to get to it. There's only one way in. And this is this picture in which Jesus says there's only one way or one road to the Father. There's no other way. And yet, I know that we're really good at, we're going to find a way to get to this place, even though they say there's only one other way. I don't care if the road is blocked. I'm a Montanan. I'm going to make it there. Even I've got to pack all my stuff in. But Jesus says there's only one way. There's only one road. Look at verse 4. And you know the way to where I'm going. And here goes doubting Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord... We do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, if you read through the gospel accounts, Jesus has been teaching them. He has been telling them that this moment would come, but yet they don't see it or understand yet. So Thomas is like, where on earth are you going, Jesus? What part of the country? We need directions. Will you write a map down? We don't know where you're going. Jesus says, no, you know where I am going. And then Jesus adds on that, probably the most controversial verse in the Bible is here in verse 6. The world hates this verse. 
Jesus said to him, I am the what? I'm the way and the what? Truth and the what? And the life. Does it say everyone? No one comes to the Father except through who? Me, Jesus Christ. Here's where this verse becomes so controversial. Because we begin to hear, wait a minute, I thought God was loving. You told me that God loves, wait a minute here. You told, I, 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 I thought that you said that he accepts everyone. This, these are Jesus' words. This doesn't sound loving. This doesn't sound merciful. This sounds bigoted. This is exclusive. Are you telling me that Jesus is saying here, my Buddhist sister, my Mormon uncle, my Jehovah Witness uh, relative or friend or neighbor won't be saved? Are you telling me that unless I believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that I'm not going to be saved? You are arrogant. You are prideful. You are unloving. This is exactly what Jesus says. Not me as your pastor and not any Christian. The scripture is not quoting Thomas or Peter, or John. It's quoting the Lord God Almighty. Jesus says, no one gets to the Father except through me. And yet, as a Christian, you still may feel the attack, and the backlash, and the words. But it's Christ who says these words. It's not you who says these words. These are the words of the living God who gives life eternal. When I was... Um, Second year in junior college in Porterville, California, um, my good friend Dan and I had um, an English class together. And the professor hated God and he hated Christians. And he was known for that. And so Dan and I still had to have this class to get our, our, our undergrad, our AA done. And so um, we're taking the class and he begins to put some pretty crazy uh, stories in front of us all to read. We had to write some reports and things on that. And he, I still remember him picking up a paper and um, calling out to my friend. All right, let's talk to the Bible thumper in the room. And he began to just verbally attack him to the point that you want to go hide under a rock. And yet my friend stood his ground the whole time. But this guy goes from something on a paper that he didn't agree with, my friend writing, pointing to Christ, to this argument that Christians are so bigoted, and, and, and yet they say this and that, and yet they believe in a God that says there's only one way, and he's like, I can't handle that. And so uh, he went on the attack. Church, you need to know these are the exact words of Christ, not the words of a pastor, not the words of a theologian, not the words of a saint who's gone before us. The apostle Peter preached this and said this in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. In Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, the apostle Peter says, this Jesus 
is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you know that Christians, if they would be listening to me preach today, would be even incensed with me at this moment? There are those who believe in Christ that would be so angered that I would dare mention a Buddhist, a Jehovah Witness, a Mormon, a non-Christian, and say that if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, they won't be saved. There are people who claim to be Christians who would be incensed with me for saying that today. But I'm not going to stand here and lie to you and say, yep, everyone will be saved by whatever belief they want to. Because that's a complete idea of man, and it's a complete lie of Satan Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. At the same time, these words that he speaks of truth, he speaks them lovingly to his disciples. And therefore, when you tell someone that Jesus is the only way, you do it in love because you want them to believe in Christ and not spend eternity in hell and you love them, and you're willing to take whatever wrath that they would throw at you. You're willing to, for them to never speak to you again, even a family member, because you so want them to know the love of Christ, and you want them to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And too many believers have gone to their death to go be with the Lord forever and held their tongue because they didn't want to offend a family member or a friend or a coworker or a schoolmate. Church, let God take care of that. You be obedient to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in love, and you let God do the work. And if they never speak to you again, as hurtful as that may be, you can rest in the arms of your Father, that He is good, and you can know that He who is in complete control of all things have seen your obedience to Him and your love for the lost. That's why I asked you to fill out a name this morning, to put a name on there, to pray for, that we can all corporately pray for. The gospel would be declared and people would be saved and God would be glorified. I just remind you in verse 6 what we've seen the last four or five weeks when Jesus says, I am, he's using this term, ego, emi, which means I am, I am. So he said, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life, or it's actually literally I am, or the life, the way, the way, the truth, the life, I am. It's the same name that when we read in the Old Testament, when, Jesus, when God speaks out of the burning bush to Moses and says, my name is I am, when we read the, the Septuagint and the translation in the Greek of the Old Testament, it's the same word that Jesus uses here. He says, I am God. Don't believe people who say that Jesus never declared he was God. He repeatedly declares he's God, even in verses 7 through 11, in which he says the Father and the Son, he says, we're the same. And the reason, though, that Jesus is the way, here's the key if you look at verse 6. Jesus is the way because he is the truth and because he is the life. John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may what? Know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. 
in his son, Jesus Christ, who is the true God in eternal life, we could go through scripture after scripture after scripture in which Jesus Christ is declared the truth. That's why when you read his word, you read complete truth. There's no error. There's no problem with it. It's complete truth, absolute truth for all of life and all of godliness, as Peter tells us. And so God, if you think back to this, God is holy. There can be no partner with sin. God is light. There can be no unity with darkness. Jesus is holy. He is light because he is God. Jesus, who is truth, speaks the truth. And Jesus is life because he created life. Take a deep breath right now, church. Jesus gave that to you. He allows you to breathe. He is the one who gives you life. He is the one who ends your earthly life. He is the one who gives eternal life and only Jesus. And that is why he is the way, because he is the truth and he is the life. And Jesus made the one way possible for unholy, wicked sinners, and that is through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us in verse 20 that Jesus made a way for us through his flesh. So when you look to the cross, when you take a piece of bread, when we have the Lord's Supper, you think about Christ nailed to the cross by him dying in our place for our sins made a way to the Father. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. If you are listening to a, a preacher, a pastor, a believer who is trying to say that, oh, these people, they believe in the same God, but they're not using the name Jesus, or this group of people in this country or this tribe, you know, they believe in God, it just happens to be a different name. And then you think about the nation of Israel. And every time they worship Dagon or they worship Baal or whoever they worship, God said, no, there is no other God. All of those gods are demons. And you're worshiping something that's not living. Therefore, we worship God alone, who's Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And John chapter 1 tells us this in verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were, not, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see that? Being born of God. For all who believed in his name. Again, the consistency. Jesus' words are true. There is no error. Just as he tells the disciples, believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is the only way. He is the only road to the Father. And if you draw your attention to verses 7 through 11, we see these last few words this morning. The Father and the Son. The third and final point is the Father and the Son. And as he describes the Father and himself as a son and the relationship between the two, he again is strongly stating, I am God. This is what Jesus is telling the disciples, again, to give them comfort in a moment of trouble. 
They have no idea that Jesus would be arrested in a few hours. They have no idea that Jesus would be beaten and punched in his face and his beard ripped out. They had no idea that people would spit in his face, that they would take a crown of thorns and smash it into his head. They did not know that those Roman soldiers would take a staff and smash his head and put it in his hand and put a robe on Christ after he had been flayed open in his back and they would mock him. They had no idea that this would happen. They didn't know about the illegal trials during the night in which they would bring false accusations against Jesus. They had no idea that he would be taken to Golgotha and nailed to a cross. Just as they had seen many people crucified, they had no idea, even though he plainly told them, they had no idea that they would watch their master their good shepherd, their Lord, breathed his last on the cross. They had no idea that they, he would be wrapped, placed in the tomb. They had no idea that on the third day they would hear that he was alive and they would run to him and they would see him. They had no idea of what would face them. We have such a loving, good shepherd that even him knowing fully what they would have upon them in hours to follow, give them, gives them words of peace and love and comfort. And I pray that each and every one of you who have no idea you may be facing the worst trouble in your life tomorrow. How will you live through that? How will you respond Will you respond in great fear and worry and anxiety? You may. And then it may be that moment the Holy Spirit reminds you, oh, that's right. Jesus is the one to lead me to the Father. And as we saw in John chapter 10 last week, the good shepherd won't lose me. And Satan can't steal me out of the Father's hand. So and the Lord could give peace in that moment. You and I have no idea the trouble that is ahead for us. And what I mean by that is Jesus promised the disciples, in this world you will have trouble. He said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the only one who can give us comfort in the midst of the troubles of our life. Our, a, a brother in Christ here in our church, Al Remington, has been battling cancer. This last week, he's been in horrible, horrible pain. You need to pray for Al. You need to pray for Marianne as she cares for him. But do you know that even in the midst of his worst pain and the cancer in his body and bones and the trouble that he's in in this moment, that Christ can be his peace? And Al believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he has peace through the Holy Spirit. And even if he's not freed from this pain till the day he goes to be with the Lord, he has comfort and peace that he'll see him face to face. Those are the comforting words of life. Let's look at these last few verses as we close this. Verse 7, Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough. Philip is asking for another appearance. He's like, even after seeing all these things, turning water to wine, healing the blind, raising the dead, Jesus walking on water, he's like, 
Jesus, that was good, but show us the Father. Show us one more thing. It's like he doesn't get it. It's like he's just shown you who he is by all of his life in front of you. He's like, show us one more thing. And I was like, man, how many times am I like Philip? Oh, Lord, just, just do one more thing. Would you just show us one more thing? Just show us your glory. And he's like, I have shown you my glory in my son, in his death, burial, and resurrection. Trust him. Moses asked the Lord to see his glory. He wanted to see him. Lord, I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. He said, well, I'm going to put you in the cleft over here and I'll cover you and you can see my glory from behind after I pass you. Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the Lord seated on the throne. His, the train of his robe filled the temple. The glory of God he saw in that vision. And so we long for it. We want to see these things. And so I kind of understand why Philip said, Lord, show us. He didn't understand. And Jesus said to him in verse uh, 9, he says, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, Philip? You still don't know me? He's like, Philip, you've seen all this. I've shown you who I am. I've taught you, and you still don't believe? Don't you know who I am? Remember when Peter, when uh, the Lord asked the disciples, who do people say I am? They're like, oh, you're John the Baptist, a prophet. And Peter's like, no, you are the Lord. You're the Messiah. And he goes, that wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. That was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Philip's thinking fleshly, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll believe. He's like, I've told you, I've shown you, I am the way. And sometimes for people, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life isn't enough. It's because they don't believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they think that it's Jesus plus something. If there's Jesus plus anything, there's no salvation. Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that is the gospel. The Apostle Paul tells the church of Corinth, that's the most important thing I've ever preached to you. It's the thing you are saved by. It's the thing you stand on. Hold strong to the gospel. So I so much more. Remember Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God with us. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. For another time, Jesus is pointing to the unity of the Father and the Son. The unity of the Father and the Son, if you read on in the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity of God. The unity and the distinct functions, the way that they function and minister to us. And as I was reflecting this week on this text, I came across a hymn written in 1875 by a guy named Cecil Francis Alexander. And it was interesting. It was titled, the hymn's titled, There is One Way and Only One. I said, hey, that's what we're looking at this week. Here's the verse. It says, there is one way and only one out of our gloom and sin and care to that fair land where shines no sun because the face of God is there. There is one truth, the truth of God that Christ came down from heaven to show, one life that his redeeming blood has won for all his saints below. 
The lore from Philip once concealed to us is fully known in Christ. In him the Father is revealed, and all our longing is sufficed. Do you know the Father? Is the question. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know the Father. And Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. And he will come again, and he will take you to be with him. And if you're here and you don't know the Father and you don't know Jesus, I'll tell you again, there is only one way to the Father, and that's through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. As the worship team comes forward, Jesus not only said this passage, I am the, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. In Matthew, he speaks about a narrow path, a way. The word way here in the, in the text that we're looking at today can mean a road or a path in that sense. And here it says in Matthew 7, verse 13 through 14, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are what? Few. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be among the few this morning. We pray that we would be found in Christ thereby found in you. Father, we thank you that you have loved us so greatly, that you loved us so much that you would send your son to die for us. Jesus, thank you for giving your life, for laying it down, and for taking it up again. Holy Spirit, we pray and ask that you would give us faith to believe. You would strengthen our faith daily. That as we go into a dark world, that today, tomorrow, every day until we breathe our last on this earth, that we would in love declare the gospel truths that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by you. May you be glorified as we sing your praises in Jesus' name. Amen.